Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasts of the Running Book Podcast Network. Welcome to the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, I used my good curveball yesterday, so I don't have a curveball for you. Surprisingly, I, I should have came up with one. It's it's my it's my mistake. But do you have any words of wisdom you would like to impart on the audience that are list tuning in right away to the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour? Oh gosh, you know I feel like I'm always the words of wisdom guy. You, I mean, you're a very wise man. You should be honored. I am, but. Um, it's, I think I've used it all. I think I've used all the wisdom. So I, I think I need to go on a retreat or something like, like Matthew McConaughey wrote, McConaughey wrote in his book about how he went to like the Amazon and did like a 14 day solo boat canal trip thing. And, uh, I feel like that's what I need to do to, to not necessarily to rediscover myself, but just to get some good content for the people. You know, you know, that's fair. Let me, let me ask you another question then, because this can be the curveball. I, I think I came up with the question for the curveball. This was actually a good stall tactic. You see, I was just, I was doing that on purpose. A little bit of subterfuge there. Um, Dylan, Jalen Brown got hurt after we did the Celtics last week. Uh, he was announced out for the season. And this has been happening to us all year, right? Like Jamal Murray happened the week after us. I can't think of the other ones off the top of my head, but it feels like this has happened a lot where we discuss a team and then one of the best players on the team gets hurt the week after. Dylan Hughes, are, is the power hour cursed? It's looking that way, man. It really is. Because I remember going back to Cleveland when we covered them. It may have been, it must have been the first time. We talked them up so much and then they lost like a bunch of games in a row. So it's not always injuries. Sometimes it's just like praise turning into losses. Um, So, you know, maybe we need to take a break and just let nature play out because we clearly have too big of an impact on things. (laughs) We're we're causing existential threats to NBA superstars. Uh, Rick Carlisle is furiously calling us or wait, no, um, Taylor Jenkins is furiously calling us demanding we don't talk about his two star players this week. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's clearly the case. Um, speaking of Taylor Jenkins and the Memphis Grizzlies, our three teams for the week, our final power hour of the like this format of power hour for the year, Dylan Hughes. We've made it through, I think, 19 weeks because we're not going to get to 20 because unfortunately the NBA schedule gods demanded that the season end on a Sunday. So it's very inconvenient for us. But Dylan, we made it through the season. The playoff, the play in starts next Tuesday. How are we feeling, buddy? feeling good man it's flown by and i obviously it's been a shortened season but um feeling good i'm ready for the playoffs like we were just talking pre-pod the first round out west is just gonna be nuts i mean it could seriously go to seven games in every series depending on how the seedings shake out if they stay the way they are right now it could very easily happen so i'm looking forward to it and i know the east is going to be a disaster the first round but it always is, so who cares? We just got to hope for New York, uh, New York, Miami in the first round. That's actually one of our teams. So our teams for this week are the Raptors, the Heat, and the Grizzlies. We're going in that order. 
And Dylan, let's just let's just get the Grizzlies out of, or the Raptors out of the way. Excuse me. The Raptors have been an absolute tire fire this year. This is the year out of hell for them. They are 27 and 42. They're seventh in the lottery odds right now, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Um, <laughs> going back to the last five games, they actually beat the Lakers 121 to 114 last Sunday. And in a game where Pascal Siakam gave 80, like 42 points. Um, they then they lost to the Los Angeles Clippers 100 to 105, lost to the Wizards in overtime 129 to 131, lost to our Grizzlies in a uh, one of the rare. I think we've had like five of these games all year. One of the double up games that we have, and then got absolutely smoked by the Clippers 115 to 96. I think Kyle Lowry's played seven games since the All Star break. Like I think that he's just been done. In Toronto, you know, they, they gave him like a big farewell tour and whatnot, and then he didn't actually end up leaving. <laughs> so, you know, that's always fun. But Dylan, let's get to the first big picture question for the Raptors. And I this I have the same first big picture question for the Raptors in the Heat. So what do the Raptors need to do to get back to the top of the Eastern Conference? This team was the second seed in the East last year. And I know they're not playing in Toronto. It's been a really weird year. They lost both their centers, but Dylan, it feels like this team isn't this bad. It's not, but there's just been so many. I mean, as you mentioned, Kyle Lowry has uh, moved on to other ventures for the time being. And I mean, Van Vliet hasn't played some time too. It's like, I don't know. It's, I think it's just been a year where they've recognized that it's not going to happen for them. And, you know, getting um, getting a Davion Mitchell in the draft would uh, would be great for them, and they're going to give themselves the best chance they can to get him or someone else. So they've uh, they've pumped the brakes a little bit. They've realized, you know, hey, we won our title a few years ago. We're okay. So that's I think that's what it's been. And you know, watching them this this week has been like Masai is still the same. There's just a bunch of dudes you never hear of that are good basketball players. And that's why I, I still have a lot of faith moving forward in them. But for now, it's uh, it's just been, you know, one of those years, as they say. Yeah, one of those years. Um, I think that this team, they're going to trade. They're going to sign and trade Kyle Lowry. I think the mutual respect is there enough where they're going to, you know, each come to the decision and say, hey, we have enough respect for each other. We've both done a lot for each other. You know, you are going to be the first Raptor who gets his jersey retired because you are the like, I don't even know if they've retired Vince's jersey yet. I would think if you're going to go in order, right, in terms of just jersey retirements, you'd probably go Lowry, then Vince, then Kawhi, then Bosh. And I know it's probably weird to have Kawhi before Bosh. Actually, you might even go Kawhi before Vince, as crazy as that is. But I know Vince and Bosh left a lot of bad tastes in, tastes in Toronto's fans' mouths. But... I mean, he, you're the, he's the greatest Raptor of all time. So you say, Hey, listen, you know, you're comfortable helping us out on your way out. Right. And then, you know, you get like somebody like Luke Kennard, or I don't even know who the Sixers have or somebody on the heat, right. You sign and trade like Lowry and Duncan Robinson for each other, something like that. Right. Like Lowry's gone. And he, I, I just like to believe he's going to help the Raptors on his way out. So you replace that. And then Dylan, Here's here's a question I thought about, and I this isn't on the um sheet, but would this team getting like the number one overall pick 
be kind of similar to the 1996 Spurs getting Tim Duncan. <laughs> like, wouldn't that kind of like, I know that they probably aren't as good as the Spurs because they don't have a David Robinson, but it kind of would be the same thing where this team just won a title two years ago. Most of the core is still there. Dylan, I feel like this, if the Raptors got the number one pick, it would be kind of like, holy shit, we just created an accidental monster. You know, that's actually funny you say that because I was watching on NBA TV the other day um, the the final game of the 99 series between the Spurs and Knicks. And it's like, how the hell did this team have Robinson and Duncan? It's just ridiculous. Um, I don't want to say I would – I it wouldn't be an equal comparison to me, but it's probably about as close as you can get. Um, without, you know, a team having a great player that missed the whole year. I mean, like, look at look at the Warriors last year, you know. If they didn't uh, draft Wiseman, it would have been one of those, I think, where it's like, holy shit, they got LaMelo with these two. And I was just thinking about this the other day. LaMelo absolutely – like, I doubted that they would take him because he's a guard technically, but he's 6'8". Just put him at the three with Thompson and, and Curry. It would have been beautiful basketball. <laughs> and, you know, I don't feel bad for them because they won a million titles this decade. But um, from a basketball fan standpoint, it would have been really fun to see those those three together. But, I mean, the Raptors are like the closest thing in the NBA to a college team, I think, where they really build a program, right? And – They've lost, you know, star talent over the years, namely Kawhi Leonard, but they've been able to, you know, put the pieces together and still have a really good team out there. And if you were able to just plug and play like Cade in there, if they get Cade, would Lowry just stay? Like, I mean, I, it still wouldn't be his best opportunity to win, but it would be a really good team. I mean, they'd be the, like – third or fourth best team in the East, right? Like, because you could fill that center hole pretty easily. You know, you're going to have cap space because Lowry's going to be off his massive deal. And I, Lowry's not getting a max next summer. There's absolutely, like, he's not getting a max salary next summer. There's no way. Like, he's 30, he's 35, and he's going to get, like, a probably a $20 million a year deal. So maybe you steal a Rashawn Holmes. Okay. Lowry, Van Vliet. <laughs> Um, Cade, Pascal, with Rashawn Holmes as your starting center and Ken Birch as your backup, and Chris Boucher as the backup to the backup. Like, that is some damn talent, Dylan Hughes. Yeah, that would be really nice. I mean, it, and listen, here's the thing, though. Even if they don't get the top pick, me and you talk about this draft a lot. I mean, this is a great draft no matter where you pick. And even if they do stay in, like, the range they're at around 10, I think they're going to be really happy with whatever they get. And that's why, again, like, because I was looking at the free agents for this class, and, yes, like, I would say center's the biggest hole. And if they were able to get someone like Rashawn Holmes or even, like, Daniel Tice wouldn't be a bad, you know, bargain bin type of guy to grab. And then get, you know, someone like Davion Mitchell or, or someone else in the draft, maybe a wing. I mean, you're going to be really well off. So I don't I don't think they have to make a huge splash in the draft or in free agency. And they're at the very least going to be a play-in team, but they could be better than that even. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I think that this team is still as crazy as it sounds. You know, we haven't even talked about OG at all because OG hasn't played in forever either. Yeah. Like, he is one of, like, you know, he's one of probably the best role players in the league. You know, just the defensive. Like, at this point, I mean, Dylan, is it hyperbole to say he's probably one of, like, the three best defensive wings in the league? I don't no. think I don't think that's hyperbole. Like he's been really good. And you got basically, right? If you get Cade or Mobley and you or Suggs or Green and just slide them into this team, you're basically giving the rookie the best chance to succeed right away with veteran teammates and they don't have the weight of the world on their shoulders. I think that this I think that there's a lot of positive directions they can go. Right now, like they're seventh in the lottery odds right now. And the Bulls aren't going to catch them. You know, the Bulls are trying to get to the uh, play-in and they're going to be unsuccessful because the Wizards are three games ahead of them. And the Wizards should... Actually, I think the Wizards are two and a half games ahead of the Bulls, but I don't think the Bulls are going to catch the Wizards. I, I just, I don't think it's possible. And it's going to be tough sledding. To, like, Seeing where they go in the lottery, I think that's probably the biggest question of the offseason for the Raptors because that could literally change the trajectory of this franchise and get them back into title contention. And obviously you could say that. I mean, Dylan, okay, here's a question. Are they the best team in the lottery? Like you insert the lottery pick next year, you put them back in Toronto. Are they going to be the team that finishes with the best record in the lottery next year? Mm, It's close. I, I have a little bias for the Pacers. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm going to favor Toronto as far as, like, organization, which is a huge part of it. I just think the Pacers have so much talent that they're going to be bringing back next year, and they're going to be in the lottery, too. So they're going to be – they're not going to have a, as good a player as Toronto, most likely, but they're going to get someone. So it's close, but, but I mean, it's, it's either them or the Pacers for me. I think, I think that's fair. I think both of those teams are probably the two best teams other than maybe if Sacramento gets the first pick, you know, then I think that they'd be the leaders of the pack, but it's going to be interesting to watch on Toronto's future as we go forward, because I think that, listen, it's just the darkest times right now for them, right? They're going to finish the season. They won the championship two years ago. And right now they're playing for absolutely nothing because they can't move really anywhere in the lottery standings. (laughs) And they were eliminated from the playoffs this week, This week, I believe. So it's an interesting time in Toronto. Let's move on to the next question. I'm going to add OG to this. So is Siakam slash Fred Van Vliet slash OG one of the best complimentary trios in the NBA? Yeah, it is. And the reason I say it is, is because Kyle Lowry isn't like that good. You know, he's not a superstar, right? And yet they are, it from aside from this year, they're always in the race. And yes, you know they had Kawhi, which was a uh, quite the talent bump. But I mean, even last year, like they, it's just a. How many wins did they have last year? Um, I think they were on pace to win like fifty-five games. I'll double check real quick. Yeah, I I just remember that even without Kawhi, they were still like fairly close to the same uh, regular season production. So they were 53 and 19 last year. So that is what, 72 games? Yeah, so they probably won like 59 games in a regular year. Yeah, I mean, that's just nuts. 
losing Kawhi and and you know to be fair, Kawhi and Danny Green were the only guys they lost. It wasn't like the whole team was gutted, but Marcus All was just awful last year, and Sergi Baca was pretty good, but it was not the team that it was the year before. And they just, I mean, Fred Van Fleet made a leap. Obviously, Siakam was like an MVP candidate for the first few months of the year. And we all know OG is at, at least a great wing defender. At best, a guy that can, you know, create shots on his own and, and hit open threes, you know. So, I that and that's why I'm excited to see what happens for them next because – I don't think those three on their own are good enough to probably win a playoff series. But if you get, if you get lucky and someone in the draft um, ends up becoming like your star or they, you know, somehow attract someone in free agency. I mean, that's a team that's, that's going to be pretty much a guaranteed top four seed in the East. So, okay. So they have, um, so Rodney Hood's contract is not guaranteed for next year. He's at like 10.9 million non-guaranteed. And then Aaron Baines is not guaranteed for next summer either. Um, Chris Boucher is not guaranteed, but I would think that they would want to bring him back. So you could clear like, you know, even like with Lowry's contract and cap hold, you could clear like a good amount of cap space for this team. And you have Van Vliet next year making 19.7. You have, OG making 17 and that's about it. Like you're going to be pretty good to bring in role players, right? Like, and that's, this team just needs depth again, right? Cause they're, they kind of lost their depth over the course of the years. But I mean, even with, you know, the depth that they need, I mean, I like what Malachi Flint, what I've seen from Malachi Flint. I like what I've seen from Udo, Utah once Watanabe, uh, try saying that 10 times fast. Um, you know, Stanley Johnson has actually played well for them. Deandre Bembry has played well for them. So I think that they, you know, I'm curious to see what direction they go in too, but the, having those three as your anchors is a hell, like a really, really awesome place to start. And all you need is a star and they have all their draft picks. So they're in a good, like, you know, and I sent you that article back before the trade deadline where the whole league, like I think only 10 teams at this point have all their draft picks. So if a star becomes disgruntled, like, let's just say, Who's a who's a star who's in like why not try to get Bradley Beal if he's disgruntled, right? Like why not try, you know, you stick Bradley Beal with this team, all of a sudden they're a hell of a lot more dangerous because you have all the pieces around Beal to make an appealing team. And you can offer, you know, Malachi Flynn. You could what wait, what if that's what they try to do this summer? What if that's what they like not Beal per se? Let's just say you get in the top four. If you're the Raptors, would you rather have a top four pick? Or would you rather have a superstar that you could try and nab? It depends on the superstar. Like Bradley Beal's a free agent the next year. And that that was something I wanted to bring up. That 2022 class is basically everyone you can think of. And obviously some of them aren't going to leave, but like the Nets, okay, Harden and Ian Durant. I'm not like we can't just say that they're 100 percent going to be there. If they win back-to-back titles, or if maybe they disappoint a little bit, maybe one of those guys is like, "Yeah, maybe we'll uh, move move on." Which, to be honest, like for them to be this late in their career, I'd be surprised if they just kept bouncing around. But you never know. Is the point? 
And even someone like John Wall, I think, is, is an appealing guy moving forward, especially when, and to be fair for him, of all the guys, he's probably not going to decline the player option because <laughs> he's not getting $43 million from anyone else. But maybe if the Houston situation is that bad, who knows? Um, like, and, and again, Bradley Beal has a player option. So it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I just still always think about Cat as the guy, but honestly, like the way the Wolves have played recently, I don't know, maybe he's not as anxious to get out of there now. And they have new ownership, a new coach. I'm starting to back off on the cat thing a little bit, but obviously you never know. It's been, um, if he wanted out, it wouldn't be shocking still. And here's here's an idea I had. So, all right. So let's just say they get in the top four, right? And this guy's not disgruntled. But he's pretty young, and it seems like the team is prioritizing the other star over him. If you have, like, a top-four pick, why not try to steal Brandon Ingram? That's a like, good one. He, I don't think him and Zion are long for – like, not Zion. Zion's very long for New Orleans if he wants to. I don't think Brandon Ingram's long for New Orleans. I think that he there's a very real possibility that he ends up leaving – you know, whenever he can, I, I just don't think that it's a good fit with him and Zion there because they're both both of their best positions on offense is the four. So what do you think about that one? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I go back and forth on whether I think they're a good match or not. And I do think a lot of it right now is just not having shooting around them. I think it would look a lot better if, if they had shooting around them. But man they have played so much better with Zion on ball more. And that has obviously impacted Ingram because Ingram is really good on ball too, but they've played better with Zion on ball than Ingram. So it it wouldn't shock me. And I think it would work out well for both teams if they could do something like that. Cause as as much as I like Ingram, he's, he's not going to fetch you a superstar hall, you know, like whatever the Raptors have would be plenty. And the fourth pick may be a little pricey for him in this draft. If it was last year, I maybe would have been a little bit more down for it. But this year, like the fourth pick is is tough. And unfortunately, the way the lottery works, there's no like gray area. Like you either get the ninth pick or the fourth is kind of like how it works or a top four pick. Like if they had like the sixth pick, I'd be a little bit more interested for Toronto, but I mean, we're definitely getting close. Yeah, I I think that – so, okay. What if – so, okay, let's just say New Orleans jumps into the top three and they don't want to keep Ingram. Would you do for the eighth pick for Ingram? Is that too – like, what's – so you're saying basically a top five pick is too much for to give up for Brandon Ingram? Yeah, because as much as I like Ingram – He's like a fringe all-star, probably in either conference. Obviously, in the East, he'd have a much easier time. When I'm thinking top five pick, I'm thinking potential like top five guy in the conference. So that that would be too much. The eighth pick makes a lot more sense. Um, as far as other things involved, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's salary issues with that, but. You know, it's it's pretty close to equal value, I would think. I would think so, too. Maybe, I don't know. It's just tough because 
Ingram is like really good. And what you're saying is true. Like he's not going to be top five in any conference, like even the East. Yeah. Like I think that, you know, we're talking about their need for a shot creator. Like he might be the best you can get at that price. Cause I think he's only making only in air quotes here. So, okay. Next year he's at 27 year after that 29. He's on his, this was the first year of his rookie extension. So like, you're going to get him for four more years. And he's still like he's one of those young guys like uh like Jaron, like he's still 23. He's not turning 24 until December. And this is his fifth year in the NBA. So you're getting a real young player until he's 28. <laughs> I think I don't know. It's it's tough. I think that this is a tough discussion, but the I think those are the kind of guys the Raptors should be going after. Not like, you know, they're not gonna get a free agent, I don't think. I know they're gonna get like a superstar free agent because why would you want to go there? I think you need to get a guy and convince him to be a part of your culture long-term, but um, I think we're go ahead, we're ready to go ahead and move on to our last Raptors question, which it just is basically any Raptors that stood out to you as you were watching them this week. Yeah. So I liked Watanabe too. Um, he's just like, he's got some really nice size and he can handle the ball a bit. Um, you know, he can take contact. Like he's a guy that's going to, going to attack the rim and not be afraid um can hit some open shots too you know like he's just a nice bench uh bench forward type of guy and then malachi flynn their late first round pick from last year who has struggled this year but i think this month has looked a lot better um like has really nice control of the ball like he's he's a guy i could definitely see running running a team at some point and right now he can run a bench um, you know, good shot maker. Um, he's like, I don't want to say he's like a mini dame, but he, he just has a similar shot profile kind of. Um, so I like him a lot and, you know, the Raptors broadcast, we always talk it up, but that Grizzlies game, man, they were just having a ball. Like I was, I was just cracking up because <laughs> they, they are just, they're really fun. It's like, they don't even act like they're on TV. They're just watching the game and talking about it. And they were talking about how Flynn didn't have a training camp, which most Raptors do. And they were saying how most um, or, or the Raptors have kind of an extensive training camp to get these newer guys involved. So that, I mean, that's another, another thing looking forward to next year. They got Gary Trent jr. Too, who obviously was a mid season trade. Um, so getting those two guys a little bit more acclimated with their system, I think is going to automatically translate to more wins next year. And, you know, Gary Trent has been kind of iffy since he's gotten there. Um, I, I think not playing with Dame has given him some tougher looks. <laughs> he's he's kind of forced it a bit. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something that he's going to have to work out. Uh, but, yeah, I think he'll be better next year, and I think Flynn will be better. And Jalen Harris is like – the bad version of Norm Powell, I, I would say, where <laughs> he gets to the rim pretty easily, but he just misses a lot more often than Norm Powell. But hey, getting to the rim alone is a is a skill. So I I'm a little bit intrigued by him, and he's a good three point shooter as well. So another guy I'm, I'm intrigued by, and I think he was a second round pick. I mean, again, just a another Raptor second round pick. They are just so good at at finding these guys, and Freddie Gillespie. Okay. Uh, I see a little bit of Rishon Holmes, just mm. a little bit. 
he's like he's one of those guys that uh is mostly with the floater. I mean, Rashawn Holmes loves that that three foot floater, and that's what I'm seeing a lot from him. He's definitely not not as good on defense or anything like that, but just a little bit of it, and uh, maybe that'll be good enough for him to stick around. Yeah, the, the Raptors' superpower. If the, like if teams had superpowers, their superpower is just developing second round picks into studs. Like that's in like late first round picks are in Fred Van Vliet's case, an undrafted guy. Like yep. they've really done an amazing job. Um, I, I, you named all the guys I wanted to name, except I'd like to shout out DeAndre Bembry. I've always been a big Bembry guy. I don't know why the Hawks just gave up on him, but Hey, you know, I think that'll really pay out for the Raptors pay off for the Raptors in the future. DeAndre Bembry is like a classic case of a guy that plays much bigger than his listed size. He's listed at 6'5", and I would not have said he's 6'5". He plays a lot bigger than that. So I'm a really big fan of uh, DeAndre Bembry. Um, I think we're good to move on from the Raptors. You you think so, Dylan? Yes. Okay. The Miami Heat. So the Heat are currently the fifth seed in the East. They're 38 and 31. And let's check out the last five games for the Heat. So... On Sunday, May 2nd, they beat the Charlotte Hornets 121 to 11. They then lost to the Mavericks 113 to 127. They beat the Timberwolves 121 to 112. Then they curb stomped the Celtics in two games that were both a lot closer than they appeared 130 to 124 in the first game, 129 to 121 in the second game. They're currently on a three game winning streak. Dylan Hughes, same first question as last time. What does this team need to do to get back to the top of the Eastern Conference? I'm going to keep it short and simple for you, Alex. Kyle Lowry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, that, that was really short and simple. Um, I mean, like, what, what, else, what else is there? You know, like, the, that, that's just the missing piece. We knew that it, as soon as Goran Dragic fell off, that was going to cause a major problem. And they've tried a bunch of different things this year to try to recover the, the losses of his play last year and Crowder. And I think Ariza has actually been pretty good lately. Um, his defense has definitely been helping them a lot. I mean, he he at times is still a really, really good perimeter defender. Um, but his three-point shooting is just not going to equal Crowder. Um, so it's like that, that loss of shooting on the perimeter has been huge. And I just – looking at the free agency landscape – I mean, you can try to re-sign Oladipo and see what that does, but I just don't think he's a move on, uh, a needle mover at this point. And I just think I think it's Lowry or bust for them. Yeah. So I I cleared most of the um the cap holds for the Heat on the cleaning the glass page, and with ten million in cap holds left between uh between Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson's qualifying offers, they're gonna have they could have 24.6 million in cap space. Like we were saying in the Raptors segment, it's not going to take that much money to sign Kyle Lowry. So you could conceivably keep, I, I, I don't see any way Iguodala or Ariza come back next year. I don't see it. Like they've been fine this year. And I mean, they still have it defensively, but Ariza doesn't have it offensively. Like he, I think he's done on offense. And I mean, he's yeah. Ariza has the size thing where he's, you know, at least he can, you know, contest shots with his wingspan. He knows the right places to be. But, man, it, it just feels like every time I watch Ariza on offense, he can't make a three. <laughs> and same with Iguodala. Like, I feel like the lineups with both of those two, or I don't think they – actually, they do, I haven't seen lineups with both of them. But, like, 
I just feels like recipes for disaster playing both of those guys like at the same time. Like they basically sacrificed defense for offense for defense when they traded Olenek at the deadline and they traded for Ariza. They traded for um, like they basically gave up all the contracts that weren't working and gave them up for ones that, you know, could actually play. But at the same time, this team is fucking old. <laughs> like, let's just let's just go through the roster real quick. Like, so Duncan and Bam. Duncan is still like almost 30, right? Like low key older player. Like he's turned he turned 27 a couple weeks ago. And this is his second year in the league. Um Andre Iguadala in his late 30s. Um and then you got Jamie in his 30s. You got I feel like this roster is Trevor Ariza in his late 30s. Got Deadman, who I thought was actually a pretty good signing, but still pretty old. Bialita, pretty old. And then Udonis Haslam, against all odds, is still on this roster. I don't know when the next time he's going to touch the floor is. I don't know if he's going to come back next year. Um, he is a 40-year-old man. I think Udonis is the oldest player in the league, and I love you, Udonis. Please don't hurt me. Um, this team just is old. <laughs> and I think Kyle Lowry is a better old player than all the rest of those guys, for sure. But I think you need to figure out what you're doing. And hopefully you leave enough cap space where you can actually sign some players that'll help you along the way. And you have to contend with the fact that Duncan Robinson is most definitely like Duncan Robinson is getting what? At least at least 18 million a year. He's a restricted free agent next year. And there's no way he is taking less than 18 million. I, I just can't see that happening, Dylan. Yeah, I mean, I just saw a video. I don't remember. It may have been Bobby Marks, but someone the other day was talking about that. And he's going to get a huge contract offer. And sneaky little team, maybe the Grizzlies throw the bag at him. I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting idea. But, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And, obviously, we don't know how this season's going to end for them still. Um, very fascinating. To, it's going to be fascinating to watch them. And, you know, let me – because I actually have the standings up. With the Celtics' little fall here – actually, I think they already passed the Celtics earlier, but they're not a playing team at this point. Yeah, they're the fifth seed. So so they're fine. Like, they play Atlanta round one right now. The Knicks, They're tied with the Knicks, so that could change. But they're either going to play Atlanta or Milwaukee, so that's a pretty big difference, I guess. Um but man, if they play Atlanta, like I don't want to say that's an easy win at all, but I would definitely favor them. And moving forward, you know who knows. But you know, I'm looking at their lineups right now. You want to you want to hear a little fun fact, Alex Burr? Let me hear it. Let me hear it. So the top the top ten most used lineups for the Heat this year are all positive, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, but you want to guess what their plus minus differential is for the season? Yeah. I'm going to guess plus two minus 0.1. <laughs> I just don't understand how that's possible considering their 10 most used lineups are all positive, including, and this is only 74 possessions, but listen to this lineup, Tyler hero, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, Trevor Reza, bam out of bio plus 52.9. And by the way, that could be an interesting um, playoff lineup because looking up and down, the the non-traditional point guards are actually producing the best lineups. 
like they have a lineup with Victor Aldipo at point guard that was plus 14.6. So that's an interesting, interesting thing to keep an eye on. And this Vincent kid has been like kind of popping off lately too. He's been getting more run. So I'm fascinated to see, I, this is way off topic, but I'm just fascinated to see uh, how, what kind of stuff Spo has up his sleeve for the playoffs. Should, should we move on? To, Cause we kind of answered the, the next question. You think the heat should go. Our next question was this team could have 25 million cap space this summer. Would you pursue a major free agent or stay in Pat and try again in 2022? Your answer was a definitive go get Kyle Lowry. So I don't think yeah, you need like to ask that Jimmy question. Butler, Jimmy Butler cannot wait around. That's the problem. You know, if, if you're the Raptors, you can wait three or four years because you got young guys. But Jimmy Butler, man, he's uh, he's going to have grandkids soon. OK, he doesn't have time to sit around waiting for waiting for people to come. And I, I know they want Bradley Beal and he's a guy that's a free agent the next year. And hey, if you miss Kyle Lowry, then that's a great guy to go after. But man, and Butler's a free agent that year as well, by the way. So that should be mentioned. But yeah, it's Kyle Lowry, man. Like they have a nice little young core with Bam and Hero and Robinson if they can keep him, but Jimmy is he's the he's the difference maker, as we've seen with every team he's been on. <laughs> so you gotta appease him now and and keep this window open. Yeah, Jimmy, when we do the rest of our awards pods next week, is getting major love from me. I will say he is I mean, Dylan, I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm considering him for the first team all NBA. He's been that good. I don't think I'll have him on there. I'll probably have Kawhi over him as my other forward, but I mean, you have to think about it. <laughs> like he's basically played 60 games at this point. I think, let me pull up the, um, the team stats. He's okay. 51 games. So I was a little off there, but I mean, in the games that he's played, they've been really good. <laughs> he's at 21. 21 and a half points a game, seven assists, seven rebounds. Basically Grant Hill shit. (laughs) Like, I think that he's just too good to deny. And I I think that that stat line, if we're not going to talk about, let's talk. Okay. Since we didn't really talk at the second question. Do you think Bam made a leap this year? Like, do you think he definitively got better? Like, is he definitively better this year? than he was last year. I'm not sure. That's why I'm asking you because it's, you could make a case that he's exactly the same as last year. He's just shooting a little more or did he actually improve appreciably? Do you think from last year from what you've seen? Well, I'll just say the performance he had in the bubble. I think the only way he could have improved upon it was becoming a mid range shooter. So I would say he's pretty much been the same, but that, he set an incredibly high bar. It's like LeBron saying, Oh, I'm going to be way better than 27, seven and seven, which we know he can do, but it's a freaking high bar to surpass. And I think Bam, the reason, one of the reasons they got to the finals was because Bam was a stud. And for him, if he was going to, to if he, for him to get demonstrably better in a season, he would be like in the MVP race. I mean, I think he was really that good last year. That's fair. That's fair. What if I told you he's shooting 45% on the mid-range on 438 attempts this year? I mean, yeah, that's pretty damn good. (laughs) I mean, 54% of his shots are coming for the mid-range right now on cleaning the glass. 
he I is. Mean, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, yeah. Like I'm not. I, this shows how little I've watched them this year. That I, the games I've watched must be the only games that he hasn't really shot many. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the only thing he needed to add. And man, I can't wait to see him in the playoffs now. So, okay. For, for the season, he's at 19 points, 18.9, but I round up to 19, 19 points a game, nine rebounds, five assists on 57% from the field. He's only shooting 12 and a half times a game, which feels like a problem. Like maybe, but maybe bump that number up. Like that, that number might need to go up to like 15, but I mean, I feel like, bam, that's kind of where I was coming from. It's like, I know he's taking a lot more mid-range shots year to year, but it feels like he, it, it just, I can't believe I'm saying this. It just feels like kind of the same from what I've seen, you know, like it kind of feels like, you know, awesome. Like one of the best defensive players in the league, he is just an incredibly impact defender. But I think that I, he, I think he could be like a top 10 player. I really do. Like, I think he has that kind of ability, but he needs to become a better scorer. And I, I don't know. I, I That's why I want to see the playoffs, too. I think he'll be an absolute force in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, he's a huge reason why, if they face Milwaukee, it's interesting. And more feel to the fire on the Giannis at the five. Because if Giannis is at the five, I don't think the Bucks have many problems there. Um I mean, it's going to be a problem, but having having or having Bam in the middle of a zone defense against that Bucks team. I mean, we saw last year, and I actually don't think the Bucks offense was the problem last year, as I've talked about a lot. I think them selling out on Duncan Robinson was their problem. I just, I mean, Budenholzer is just a disaster. I, like, I don't understand how you can watch that series and watch Goran Dragic hit a million threes and say, oh, yeah, that's a good defensive game plan. I know Duncan Robinson's the best shooter, but they have plenty of other good shooters, and it killed him. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> I Yeah, I, I'm fascinated. I, I want to see that matchup really bad because the I think the Bucks getting Drew Holiday was a huge deal, and it's part of the reason why if they get to the finals, I wouldn't be shocked because I think he could – he could neutralize a team's number one option as long as they're small enough. And, you know, like that's why I look at Brooklyn. I mean, I think he could not take Kyrie out, but he could make life really hard for him. Um, but when it comes to the heat, man, like what is he going to take Kendrick Nunn out? Is that really going to do much for him? <laughs> you know, it, it's going to come down to Giannis for spam. I think here's, here's the take for you. Okay. What if they got PJ Tucker for the heat? What if they didn't get PJ Tucker for any other teams? Think about it, right? He allows them to, you know, stay in a, like a regular defense. And plus, you don't let PJ Tucker go to the Heat, which is huge because the Heat were aggressively on the PJ Tucker trail. And you and I, I was saying, you know, I was pounding Kyle Lowry and PJ Tucker to the Heat. I mean, Dylan, you know, I was pounding this all year. But you get PJ Tucker, you don't have to play Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is just an awful matchup for a heat series. You can play straight up man to man. You can stick, you know, Middleton on Butler and just live with the results. And then, you know, I would throw um, Drew on Duncan Robinson. Yeah. That's what I would do. And then just try to take him out of the game. 
And you don't need a double Duncan Robinson coming off the screens because Drew is really elite at getting around screens. So I, I give me that. I don't know. Let's let's actually move on to the next question, though, because this pertains. It's going to be the same conversation. Just we'll ask the question. Are the Heat the ultimate team you don't want to see in the playoffs? I say yes. I think yeah. if they if the Heat end up at six, which is still a very real possibility, but I doubt it. It seems like they have the tiebreaker over the Knicks and they aren't playing the Knicks the rest of the year. But it's OK. Real quick. Heat's remaining schedule. So they got the 76ers, they got the Bucks, and they got the Pistons. And the Hawks only have the Magic and the Rockets, which are two guaranteed wins. I don't have the Knicks schedule pulled up. But, I mean, there's a very real possibility they end up as the sixth seed. And, like, if the Bucks played Miami in round one, <laughs> Phil, or Brooklyn in round two, and Philly in round three, I mean, there's, there's no way they make the finals, right? Yeah, I mean, it would be <laughs> it would be damn near impossible. But like the thing is, I think they I think they could beat the Bucks and Philly. The Nets, though, there's no way they keep up with the Nets on offense. Like that's the issue with them. I think again, having Bam is a huge deal because you can probably somewhat neutralize Giannis and Embiid, and then just let the rest of the guys play out. And yeah, like those are two talented teams and it very well could still go their way. But again, Jimmy Butler, man, when he gets to the playoffs, is a different dude. Um, but the Nets is just tough. And like the health, well, it seems like the health is working out at a good time for the Nets. They're they're getting everyone back now. And of course, as soon as Harden gets back, Kyrie gets elbowed in the face. But <laughs> that's just how it's been this year for them. But man, if they're all healthy at the same time, like they uh I just can't believe Kyrie's going to be the one that played the most games out of those guys. Cause he's, he's all on every team. He's always the guy that's the most hurt. Um, so it's just funny, but yeah, it's, uh, it would be really tough for the nets to get knocked off. I think because the thing about the nets is they not only have those top three guys, but they have great supporting casts. I mean, Blake Griffin has really stepped it up lately. Jeff green has obviously been good all year. Bruce Brown, sadly, is uh, seemingly kind of falling out of favor, which, you know, it's understandable to some extent. Um, and then Joe Harris is like, is he still shooting 50% from three? You know, like he's <laughs> he's just been insane because – and how could he not be, by the way? Being the fourth option uh, with those guys is – you're going to get good looks. But it's, it's going to be tough if they're healthy for anyone to beat them, but – yeah, I, I think Miami's going to push anyone to the brink either way. Joe Harris is at 47.5% from three. I looked up oh, that's you were it? talking. That's it? I mean, it's on six <laughs> six attempts a game, though, Dylan. Six and a half attempts a game. I mean, that's that's not nothing. That's not nothing. Um, the last three games for the, uh, for the Knicks is San Antonio, Charlotte, and Boston. So there's oh, a very... Yeah, those are very real possibility. I think Miami, I think it's looking more and more likely. They Now that I'm thinking about it, I think they end up as the sixth seed. And I think you're right about the Brooklyn point because Brooklyn just is on another level offensively. But Philly and, um, Philly and Milwaukee are not. Like, those two teams are not, you know, top tier. Uh, like, they're, they're really good offensively. And I think Milwaukee has one of them. You know, I think they've been playing really well the last – little bit of the season, but I think that 
they're in terms of offense, this they're pretty easy to beat. Like for Milwaukee, for Miami, excuse me. And then Philly, Philly's an interesting case because I don't know what they do with Joel, right? But I think that they still they would put up a hell of a fight because they would definitely take Ben out of the series and they would probably shut down Tobias too. So I, I don't know. I think Miami could take any team in the in the East to six, seven games. I think that that's plausible. I think they beat all the teams that aren't the, you know, aren't the top three. I think they, if they were in a first round series against the Knicks or the Hawks, I would bet heavy money on the, on the heat to win that series. I think they're easily better than Atlanta and New York. I I don't think it's really close, frankly. So it's going to be tough. Um, So, okay. Let's just do a real quick. How many games is a, does the Miami series go against the Sixers for you? Man, I just, my lack of trust in Ben Simmons still is a huge like X factor. If he, if he was someone I could rely on, I could, I'd say it'd probably go seven, but I think I'd give Philly at most six at this point. That's fair. What about against, okay, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, you're not as confident in the heat's abilities to hang in the series. What, how many games do you think the Brooklyn Nets would win against the Heat in? Man, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was five. I just really think the offensive advantage is that big. But at the same time, Miami is so good in the playoffs. I could see it going six as well. But seven, no. I mean, we could agree. They have the best coach in all of the season. Like, Spo is probably the best coach in the East right now. I don't, yeah. I don't think that's a terrible thing to say. No. And then against the... Against the Bucs, I think I would go seven-game series. What would you – Yeah, what, what, I say seven. Oh, man, Milwaukee just can't shake the heat, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's going to be rough for them. I really – you know, I want – you know, I'm on the Bucks train hard. Right. <laughs> I'm very hard on the Bucks train, but I think that – um, I think that's everything for the heat segment. Do you have anything left to say on the heat? No, but I, I'm just – I'm fascinated because – the bottom half of this rap roster has just been like a, a mess. <laughs> it's just changed so much throughout the year. And by the way, Kelly Olenek is killing it for the Rockets. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like already a part of their two best lineups on the season, which isn't saying much. Cause they've had like four healthy players all year, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's just kind of funny. Like if they actually held on to Olenek and obviously all Depot being hurt is a huge deal, but Olenek still may actually be their best option at the four right now. <laughs> Yeah, pro- I mean, what, they're playing Ariza at the four, and then who else? You know, I, I, it's a great point right there because obviously um, Myers Leonard is probably never going to touch NBA court again, and then who else? <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be like KZ. Or K- I think they traded KZ Okpala in, the, um, in one of those trades. The, okay, the lack of Bielitsa minutes is disturbing. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Where has he been? He's on the team. I think he's healthy. I think he's just getting DNP CDs, which doesn't make sense. Why trade for him? I think he could do what Kelly Olenek does. You, I, you know I'm a lot higher than Bielitsa than you are, but I think he could do what Kelly Olenek does. I don't understand why he's not playing. Maybe he needs a training camp, and they'll bring him back, and hopefully, you know, like on a cheap contract, he can help out the Heat next year. I, I just I want to see Bielitsa help a winning team because I know he can do it. Yeah, I think. I mean, it seems like Spo wants defense from that position, and that's why Iguodala and Ariza get all the time. That that's what my perception of it is. 
play him at small ball five then. You know, <laughs> get some offense on the court. He can shoot. He can drive. You know, he can pass. He does. He's very multifaceted on offense. Am I the president of the Manuelita fan club? Probably. But I, I just don't see why he's not, why he can't help them. But hopefully, hopefully he gets a shot in the playoffs because I really want to see Bielitz to succeed. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the league. I think he's one of the most misunderstood players. Um, but the Memphis Grizzlies can't believe we're on. This is our last team on the last power hour of this for the season. Shedding a tear. Um, the, the Grizzlies have had a real, let's just say it. They've had a real interesting month of May. I, this isn't in the last five games, but it's in within the last seven. They lost the, the Orlando Magic, Dylan. They lost the Orlando Magic at the beginning of May. I'll just go through their whole month of May. They lost to the Magic 112 to 111 on a Cole Anthony buzzer beater. They then lost to the Knicks 118 to 104. They beat our Timberwolves 139 to 135. They lost to the Pistons. <laughs> 111 to 97. They then have, they're now on a three game winning streak. They've beaten the Raptors in a game we already talked about. They've beaten the Pelicans 115 to 110. And they beat them. They destroyed the Mavericks last night. 133 to 104. Um, we'll save the play and talk for the Grizzlies for last. Cause I do want to get to that. I didn't, I told Dylan, we we're going to be talking about the play. But let's talk about Jaron Jackson. He's finally back. Finally back. We waited our patience was rewarded, Dylan Hughes. We finally get to talk about Jaron Jackson this year. What do you believe his ceiling is? And do you think he's the best prospect on this team? I do think he's the best prospect because it's like for, for Ja, who's obviously the second best guy, aside from getting a more consistent shot, which is a huge deal, as we'll talk about, I don't really know how much where like where else he's going to get better at right i i feel like him coming into the league so hot has already kind of set his ceiling like not far from where he is now and i could be proven wrong on that we'll have to see but jackson mostly because of injuries like we have a good idea of what he's going to be but there's just still a lot of things that has been left off the court considering he hasn't always been on the court and as we just talked about pre-pod, I mean, the dude's 21 years old. And he looks like he graduated high school last week. So, like, as far as body development, because him being skinny is a problem, but he's going to fill out at some point. I mean, like, I look at a guy like Miles Turner, who came into the league at 19, was very skinny, and showed it on defense, got bullied down low. And his body the past few years has really filled out to the point where he doesn't – I mean, he still gets bullied around by Joel Embiid, but who doesn't, you know? Like, that's a guy that's filled out. And you can see in his defense that that weight matters. And I think that is going to happen for JJJ as well. And, like, we know he's going to be a great shooter. Um, his, his handle is really solid. He still turns it over a bit too much. But, again, that's another area where he can work on. And the more games he plays, the more he can do that. So, like, I don't even really know what his ceiling is because I think he could absolutely be a top 15, you know, guy. I mean, he's maybe even higher than that because his offensive repertoire could be extensive. I mean, I could see him being, like, a better defending cat, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a shocking take. I mean, he, he can handle the ball. He can shoot. He's good down low. 
and he can defend on the perimeter and down low. And again, he's still skinny. So, I mean, I really think he could be one of the best uh, big men in the league. He's got really like good defensive like instincts, right? Like he'll see something going on in the paint while he's guarding the three point line and he'll go into the paint and he'll contest the shot and he'll just make it, you know, he'll make it harder for the people inside because he's so long. Like he is just ridiculous on offense and defense. Like if he can tighten the handle, then what can't he do on offense? Like maybe just not like pull up shoot, but I mean, he's still, you know, you can run a Jaron Jackson Jr. handoff. <laughs> and like how many 6'11 guys can you do that for? Legitimately not a lot. And he could pull up, you know, for three. He, he's got a good sidestep. He's got a good step back. Like he's got tools in his arsenal. And I think that's what's so exciting. Like, and the 21 part is obviously huge as well because it kind of balances out with Ja because Ja is the same age as Jaron because Jaron, I think actually Ja's a good deal older, not good deal, but like a year older than Jaron, if I'm not mistaken. Like, cause Ja was a sophomore when he came out and Jaron was, you know, I think Jaron was probably 18 when he came out in the draft. So I think that it, it's a perfect tandem because Ja's so good at finding guys off the dribble, right? Like he's so good. Like his passing is just fucking ridiculous. Like, Ja, in terms of guys I love watching past the basketball, he is up there for me with Jokic. Like, he is in that stratosphere where, like, he just puts passes exactly where they need to be, and they can be pretty flashy sometimes, but sometimes, you know, it's just like, okay, run of the mill. Jonas Valanciunas is cutting. I'm going to look at the corner. I think, actually, the Raptors broadcast is pointing this out, too, how he uses his eyes to basically just deceive the defense, but we're we're obviously talking about Jared here, but... And then the defensive potential... I mean, top 20 player potential for sure. Like, I think that that's, that's a ceiling and his floor is top 50, you know, cause he's going to grow into his body. He needs to stop getting hurt. Like, I know you can't really control that, but like, he, I don't even, I don't know how many games he's played in his career. I'm actually going to pull up his page right now, but he just keeps getting hurt and he hasn't played a full season in his career. So, okay. He's played, he played 58 games his rookie year. He played 57 games last year and he played nine games this year. And, you know, obviously that was out of extreme caution this year, but I just would like to see him play some games like last year, right? Like the stats last year, because obviously we we aren't going to be able to look at his stats this year and say, wow, what a guy, right? Jaron Jackson, but 17 points a game last year, 39% from three and 1.6 blocks a game, right? Like such a unique skill set. And he's a good offensive rebounder too. I think he's a lot better on the offensive glass than on the defensive glass. Like, that's something I noticed. Like, he's just really good at timing his rebounds. And he, he doesn't get a whole lot of rebounds, but I would bet you the uh, the Grizzlies' defensive rebound position percentage when he's on the floor is pretty good. So, like, I mean, it just doesn't seem like he has a whole lot of holes. And I think that's going to work well, very well in his favor going forward. Yeah. And as you mentioned, again, being on the floor is the biggest thing getting in his way right now. And... It sucks because looking back to last year, I mean, he was going insane in the bubble before he got hurt. Like that first game, I think it was, he had like a bunch of threes, like 20-something points. Like he's he's really that kind of guy. Like he could very easily drop 30 a night, you know, like not every night, but on any given night, he could easily drop 30 points. And, you know, he's, he's definitely a guy that's going to be a 20-plus point per game scorer. And it wouldn't shock me if he gets to 25 or even more. 
because again, his offensive skill set is just so wide. Like he can do it all. And again, like the handle is still not there yet. Um, he's not, you know, getting a ton of shots as much as you would expect from a young guy, he could still get more shots. So I I'm really excited to see where he goes. And I just, I, I just really need him to be healthy. Cause like, I want to see this group play together consistently. And that's been the problem with the, the Grizzlies all year this year, which is why, again, I give jaw a ton of props because as we talked about yesterday, when we were talking about Desmond Bain, the Grizzlies this year have been like above, they've been around 500 all year and being in the West with your best prospect out all year, pretty much. That's pretty damn impressive. And it hasn't been all jaw, but yeah, like they have a great team as a whole, but I mean, jaws, the leader of that. And I, I give him a ton of credit. Cause I mean, looking back to last year too, when he was a rookie, he was keeping them competitive, man. They almost made the playoffs and like, that's very rare for a young point guard to be able to lead a team like that. Um, so him and him and Jaron together moving forward, is going to be really exciting to watch. Agreed. Let's go ahead and move on to our John Morant question. Cause I feel like it's pressing. So let me read you this stat first, Dylan, before we, uh, before we continue. So I sent you this question. If Josh shooting is real, does he jump into the top five point guards in the league? Now, I don't know if you looked at the stats, what he's done in his last 25 games, but in his last 25 games, he is at 40% from three on 4.1 attempts a game. He is pulling a lot more comfortably. It seems like, and it's really encouraging sign. I mean, Dylan. Okay. First of all, do you think this is real? Second of all. uh, So, okay. Let's just start with that question. Is the shooting real? It's tough to say because I mean, his college career and his career up to this 25-game stretch suggests that he's not a good shooter. And I would tend to stick with the bigger sample size. And obviously, you know, the what have you done for me lately bias can say, well, he's shooting better now, so he's probably a better shooter now. You know, we don't know about that. Um, So I'm, a, I'm cautiously optimistic that he's getting better in that area, but I would still say it, it could just be a little bit of a good stretch for him. His last year he was at 33%. So maybe this is just him regressing to the mean, right? Like, and obviously most people think regressing to the mean is, you know, you falling down to earth, but sometimes it can be you, you climbing back up the ladder. If he's confident shooting threes, right? Like if he feels comfortable shooting them, then I think I'm not going to say it's real, right? But it, it can be pretty close to real. Like, I think that him actually wanting to shoot from out there is a hell of a sign because there was, in the uh, New Orleans game, there was one stretch where he hit two threes in a row and he pulled up for a third, right? Like, if you can't play off of him anymore, how are you going to stop him from getting to the basket? Like, that's legitimately the only way you can stop him from getting to the basket. And... If you can't like wall off the paint, then like, how are you going to stop him from getting 20 and 12 every game? Right. Like that seems to be the last step before he, you know, explodes into a super duper star. Cause I do, I do think that Jaron's a better prospect I'll say, but if Jock can actually shoot, then he, he might be better. Cause I was saying, you know, I've come around to the idea that Darius Garland might end up being the better point guard from this, from his class. And that's not any diss on job, but if he's actually, you know, going to make pull up shots, then I think you would have to give the edge to Garland regardless of, you know, 
it's like the Chris Paul versus Steph Curry debate. And obviously I'm not saying Garland is Steph Curry, but would you rather take the score or the pure distributor? But if Ja can hit the pull-up shots, and I think that debate is null and void, and I think Ja is by far the better player. And if he can actually hit shots, then I think that he he catapults. So if okay, if Ja is confidently pulling and hitting some of his threes, where does that like what tier of point guard would you have him in? Like definitive top five, like top ten? Like you don't have to go specific here, but like what range? Of point guard would you have John if he could hit pull up threes? Well, see, I made a list of guys that I would take over him right now for sure. And it's eight guys. And I think you can make arguments with other guys like, you know, Russell Westbrook, Trey Young, those types of guys I didn't have on in the top eight. But you could very easily make an argument. Um, everyone after that, I would probably say Jaws better than. Um, so Right now, he's already a top 10 point guard for me. And the problem is cracking against that top eight is really tough. Like, Steph, Dame, Kyrie, probably never going to be better than them. Holiday, Chris Paul, you know, probably not going to be that good. And Deer and Fox, Jamal Murray is like the tier that I'm thinking he could surpass, which would put him into like – what is that? Six, like the six range. And, and I put Luke at the end. Obviously, Luke is way above um, him. If you consider him a point guard, it's like the league is so stupid at this point. Right. Like I was thinking, <laughs> should, I, should I put Harden in there? Like, can I put two point guards on the same team? It's it's just stupid. But like the, the deer and box Jamal Murray area is where I would think he is. But even then, I mean, he, I, like I think he could pass Darren Fox like fairly easy if he could shoot because De'Aaron Fox still really can't shoot. And that's what's holding him back as well. I mean, he's better than he was, but he's still not quite good enough. And obviously Jamal Murray has just proven way more in the playoffs. And yes, he's had way more opportunities, but surpassing Jamal Murray, I think is, is maybe where it gets, it starts getting tough. So and that's that's no slant like on jaw, even with a shot. The point guard depth is just insane. It's by far the deepest position in the league right now. And for him to crack that group, like he would have to be 40 plus percent from three, I would say, mm. like pretty consistently. And because you know, the 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 lack of defense holds him back. Obviously, he would be an insane offensive player just like a lot of these guys ahead of him but it's it's a it's tough to get into the top five so i would i would say you know six to eight is more likely and i mean that's fair you know like i okay here's here's a question all right last year's kyle lowry or john morant with a 35 percent three-point shot oh it's so tough because kyle lowry is not an offensive dynamo, you know, he's like a, a glue. He's like a Draymond type of guy where he's like a Mm. superstar role player. That's what I've always called Draymond, a superstar role player, you know, like he needs other guys around him to really see it on the court. Like he's not Kevin Durant. He's not going to take any team from the bottom to the top. Right. But you put good role players around him and it's going to shine. And same thing with Draymond, as we saw last year, when Steph Curry and Klay Thompson weren't there, it wasn't as good. 
Um, so yeah, I it's tough. I I and Kyle Lowry can create his own shot, but the physical aspects aren't really as there. Like Jaw, I mean Jaw is so quick, and the passing vision is insane, as you mentioned. I think I would probably take Jaw, but not by a huge margin. I, I think it's tough. Like Kyle Lowry in the um, game seven of the conference final, or not the conference finals of the second round against the Celtics last year. I think he was, if not the best uh, best player on the court, like one of the two best players on the court. You know, like he really elevated his game. Maybe that's just part of the super role player thing you're talking about, where he just elevates his game when the team needs him. I, but I mean, I think from game three on, he was, you know, probably one of the three best players in that series. I'd say Jalen Brown was honestly the best player in that series last year. That's neither here nor there. I think that Ja having a pull-up just totally changes the parameters on his game. Like, it just changes everything he can do. You know, like, I think even though I would say Ja's better than Trey on defense, I would say Trey having a, like, pull-up jump shot is so much is so much more of a weapon than anything Ja can do because Trey, you know, I watched the Wizards game last night because I was, you know, wanting to watch that game because it was looking like a lot of fun. And Trey just, you know... With the scoring threat that he has unlocks so many other things he can do. And the fact that Jock can play like this while, you know, not having the pull-up threat is, you know, incredible as it is. But I think that Trey has that score as that edge on offense for me, at least. I think overall I would still probably take Ja, but you could talk me into Trey over Ja like pretty easily, I would say. Yeah, and that's why, like, I had him in that next group. And and I did forget Kyle Lowry, obviously, is in that group, too. Um, but, yeah, Trey, and I've talked about this forever, like, the pull-up shooting makes him basically unguardable because he can pass, too. So it's like, okay, here, so I'm going to get you off the dribble. I'm going to make you close out on me, and I'm going to pass that up. And then everyone else in front of me, it's now four on five. Um, am I going to pass this to the corner or am I going to get to the rim? Like that, that's the questions defenders are always going to ask themselves. And it's, it's, a, it's another reason why Curry has been so good. And obviously the shooting, like simply making the shots alone have been a huge part of it, but just the threat of the shot changes the dynamics of everything. And that's why, like, again, that's why SGA, I just have to see it before I really consider him a top tier point guard because as talented as he is not having a shot makes life a lot harder for him and a lot harder for his teammates. It just, the, the defensive focus is just a lot tighter. It's not as spread out and you want their, their focus to be spread out. Cause then you got them guessing, you got to moving around and you can take advantage of that. And jaw has done really well without the shot already, because again, he has everything else. He's got quickness, He's got finishing ability and he's got passing and adding a shot onto that would make all that so much easier. (laughs) It's funny because I was watching him last night and I'm like, this dude just plows into guys. He doesn't care if he weighs 130 pounds soaking wet. He's running into the biggest dudes on the floor. And I don't think he would have to do that as much if he had a shot, because again, I think the defenses would be scrambling a lot more. And, you know, as far as, and he hasn't really had injury issues, but at some point he probably is going to, if he keeps throwing his body around like this. And I think having that shot would open the floor up a lot more for him and he wouldn't have to worry about it. I agree. Um, I think this is a good place to move on to our last 
our last uh, topic of the evening. So the team, I would say this team has 13 legitimate NBA players. You could argue maybe like one or two less, but I think that, you know, we've seen Killian Tilly play for this team and play pretty well, right? Like he's only played nine games, but you could, you could talk yourself into that. So, okay. In a hypothetical expansion draft, you can protect eight guys. Obviously you're protecting John Jaron. Who else are you not letting go on this team? Okay, so honestly, I only picked four. Everyone else is iffy. And like okay. as, as, as much as I like this team as a whole and I do like the depth, there's four guys beyond that that I think really matter. Everyone else, you know, it's it is what it is. Um, so obviously Brandon Clark's the first one. Just obviously, you know, not much explanation needed. By the way, though, we talked early in the season about his shot. He changed the shot. That's why it sucks now. I noticed that last night. the The shot was a lot cleaner last year. Now it's it's more hitchy, and mm-hmm. that that is why it's falling off. I don't know who who made that call, but it is not working. I I hope they go back into the lab this off season because that needs to be ironed out. Because him making shots last year was really nice to see. Because that was a question we had coming out of college whether he could do that, and. And, you know, it doesn't impact his game a ton because he's not really an offensive guy anyway. He's his most of his value comes on defense. But, I mean, it would be great if he could hit threes. <laughs> I mean, it's that's it's something that you would want out of everyone. So we'll see about that. But either way, obviously, a guy you keep Desmond Bain, shocker. We just spent a bunch of time on him yesterday. And you know something I realized yesterday? I didn't think I realized before how like how big he is. He I think he's a lot bigger than you would think. I mean, he's just a tank. And he he's just gonna be a great, great player next to these uh next to Ja and Jaron moving forward. I mean, he's he's gonna be there a long time, I hope. Unless they want to cash him in for Beal or something, you know. But uh we'll not get ahead of ourselves on that one. And DeAnthony Melton who maybe this is a hot take, but I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being the third best guy on this team. I he's, he came into the league as a defensive guy. I mean, he, he, his defensive upside is still, I think kind of untapped. Like I think he has still a lot more in the tank. The biggest thing has been his shot. Him hitting threes has been huge for this team. I think it's been a reason why they've been able to stay afloat this year despite the injuries because he's just become a reliable three-point shooter. And coming out of college, that was a question. And I think if he had a shot coming out of college, he would have been a lotto type of guy because his skill set is just so good and he's a good passer. I mean, I think he's just a great secondary ball handler type of guy that can shoot and defend. So that's just a guy I – would love to have um, moving forward. And then JV Mm. watching, watching JV against the Raptors, like almost made me a little sad for the Raptors because they got their title, but you know, with Abaka and, and uh, Gasol gone now, it's like, they just have to watch JV continue to get 20 rebounds a game (laughs) on the Grizzlies. So that's, that's a guy that I would love to keep in. You know, even though two of their best prospects are big men, I still think it benefits them to have JV because we Jaron can play the four. You know, maybe long term he's better at the five, but as his body gets 
you know, still develops a little bit and he's still skinny. I think it's better for him to stay at the four. So keeping JV around would be great. And then, you know, after that, again, I don't really care that much. Losing Dylan Brooks for nothing would kind of suck. Um, so like you could throw him on as the fifth guy. Um, but a bunch of these other guys, it's it's not that big of a deal. All right. So I would throw I, I would keep all those guys you named. You know, Melton, I think the Melton should be the starting two next year, personally. Yeah. Like he's really good. He's got like the pull-up juice that no one else on this team really has. Like he's shooting 43% from three <laughs> on four attempts a game. Like he's been doing really good for Memphis. He's the steal of that Josh Jackson trade. Like they yep. basically did a salary dump and they got DeAnthony Melton and Josh Jackson, who was really good for them last year. Okay. I would keep Tyus Jones as well. I think Tyus Jones has been really good for them and their season. If you follow like anybody on Grizzlies Twitter, they kind of revolted. So in the middle of the season, they kind of had Justice Winslow kind of take uh, Tyus's place as the backup point guard. Cause you don't trade for Justice Winslow, then try not to use him, Right. But that bombed spectacularly in everyone's faces. And so they made the switch back. And I think that's coincided with a little bit of the better stretch they've been on recently. And then I would keep slow-mo. I love slow-mo. I think that he is, you know, Kyle Anderson in case I'm unclear, but I think he's really good. His shooting is improved enough. Like he's only at 35%, but like if you told people when Kyle Anderson came in the league that he'd be actually shooting four threes a game and he'd be shooting 35% on them, they would have laughed at you. He didn't shoot at all when he was, you know, in San Antonio and he's expanded his game. He's done a really good job. Just like being present, like 3.5 assists, 1.2 steals, like, and six rebounds a game. He does all the little things you need. I think that those, like he has a skill set that's basically irreplicable for the, for the Grizzlies. So that, those would be my other two guys. Um, I think we get, it's safe to say the Winslow experiment's not working <laughs> in in Memphis. Um, and then I wouldn't – Dylan Brooks would be tough, but I think you could lose him just basically because uh, it's tough because his defense is really good. Like, he's the guy you're going to have to lose to upgrade better to, some, to someone better at his position because I would say he's middle of the pack right now, right? Like, middle of the pack shooting guard, like probably below average. That's just because – the league is so deep, but he's really confident. He's really good on defense. It's just going to suck when they're going to have to get rid of him and upgrade to someone better at the two. Yeah. It's, it's like, those are the toughest guys to have because it's like when you lose them, you're losing a good player, but you know, what are you getting back? It's, it's a guy you don't want to give up for nothing, but you know, he's like not going to take you to the next level either. So it's tough. And I, I'll say Kyle Anderson, I, I would throw in there for me too. I think I got a little bit too cute with leaving him off. I mean, he's been very good this year. And, you know, uh, I think a low-key contender for, for all defense. I mean, I think he's been really good on defense this year. And, I mean, he's been a good defender his whole career. But the Grizzlies are have been an awesome defensive team this year. And I think it's been a whole effort. You know, I think they just have a bunch of good defenders on that team. But Kyle Anderson is like – he's like one of the few players that's going to be in the 90th percentile in steal percentage and block percentage. He's like there every year. He's one of the very few guys that can do that. Um, so, yeah, I, 
I, I got too cute with that. I would throw him in there for me as well. It's a smart choice, Dylan Hughes. Um, Grayson Allen was a tough cut for me. He's been really good since he's gotten to Memphis, but I, I don't really see him being anything more as like an eighth man who shoots like basically Kyle Korver in Cleveland, but better, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I, I mean, let's face it. I think that all these guys like, okay, here's last question for you on the Grizzlies before we go for the day. Are the Grizzlies the most high IQ team in the league? It feels like everyone in this team knows where the ball is supposed to be. They know where each other is supposed to be on defense. It just feels like this is what happens when you have a smart team and a good coach and you just throw all the ingredients together. Oh, that is tough, man. They're definitely up there, but man, I think Phoenix is up there. Obviously you have a coach on the court with Chris Paul, like the way they move is we talked about this since the beginning of the year. Their movement is so fucking like in sync. Every time I watch the Suns, I'm like shocked at how how consistently fluid they are with their movement. Um, and I guess I shouldn't be shocked. I've only watched Chris Paul my whole life, pretty much. But I would put them up there. I would usually put Miami, and maybe I still would. But the the rotating door of players is kind of throwing that off. And obviously, Toronto is going to be up there. I mean, yeah, it's. I'd have to sit down and really think about it, but they're definitely in the conversation. Definitely in the conversation. I, I just love the way they pass. You know, and obviously Jaws the ringleader of it, and I think Jaws IQ for a second-year player is just honestly unfair. Yeah. Like, how smart he is just, like, at baiting people. That's why he's one of my favorite players in the league. Just, like, he's so good at moving players with his eyes, you know, all that jazz. And I, I, I think that's just why I love this team so much. And add Tyus Jones off the bench. I think Tyus Jones as a backup point guard, like – if you were the Knicks, wouldn't you love Tyus Jones as your starting point guard right now? Yeah, I mean, that's what they need. As we kind of talked about yesterday, they really just need a solid dude at the at the one because a lot of their ball handling is is not at that position. And the the jump from Alfred Payton to literally anyone in the league would be tremendous. Tyus Jones is not shooting well from three, but that's okay because he's – a good passer. He's good at everything else, even make himself useful in other ways. So apparently Tyus Jones is only averaging or he's averaging 3.8 assists. Or wait, no, I need to, I don't know. I'll look some other time to make sure my stats are right. But um, Dylan Hughes, I think we're done for the day. I think we touched on everything we want to touch on. Um, Okay. Wait, last, last question. And we can make this kind of quick. Can the Grizzlies actually get in the playoffs? Like, do you think they'll win in the play-in and get in the playoffs, or do you think that Golden State will crush them in the playing game? Yeah, I. The way that Golden State's played lately, it's. I would have a tough time seeing them lose to this Grizzlies team, and hell, they could beat the, the Lakers for all we know. Um, which I don't think the the Grizzlies would be able to beat the Lakers either. Um, and obviously, again, LeBron huge X factor in all this, but uh, yeah, I, I sadly think that they'll probably miss out, but Hey, that just means another good draft pick, right? <laughs> another good draft pick. They have 13 million in cap space next year. Things are looking really good because they're getting Gorgie Jang and Dion waiters contract. Apparently still in the books. <laughs> so you're going to have waiters been lately. I, I, I miss that guy. He's definitely done. There's no way he's coming back and playing in the NBA anymore. Like he's just done. There, there's no way. He's absolutely done in the league. 
Um, <laughs> the the thirty one and ten run with the Heat that was something special though. The thirty. Hey, they have a member of that team in Justice Winslow, and they're gonna be shipping him off. It's true. No, no respect for the thirty one ten Miami Heat. <laughs> I mean, what Hassan Whiteside, James Johnson, Deion Waiters. I mean, that's the Spo should have won Coach of the Year that year. Oh yeah. I mean, the fact that they started. I wasn't at the flip side of that, like ten and thirty one. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess it's somewhat understandable, but it was a great run nonetheless. His coach of the year case is similar to Nate McMillan's coach of the year case this year. I think I think it's pretty similar. Obviously, different circumstances, but you took over a team that was underperforming, or in Spo's case, you took a team that you had underperforming and you turned them around in the second half of the season. And yeah, um, shameless plugs from one young soul to another. Okay. If you don't buy Dylan Hughes's book, $5 for Kindle, $7.50 for paperback, I'll go into your house and I'll unscrew all your light bulbs. You will have no light bulbs. You will go to turn on your lights at night and you'll, you'll have to use candles. Okay. You'll have to, you know, be one of those herbs who walks around holding a little candlestick, walking around, making sure you can see in the dark. Dylan, how, how is that? You said my, my board game threat was my best one. How, how did that compare? You know, this might be it because they're going to think their power's out, right? But then they're going to look around like, oh, my alarm clock's still going. Like the Wi-Fi still works. Huh, that's odd. It, it's going to be – they're going to have to call the power company. They're going to have to call everyone to see what the hell happened. And for them to figure out that the light bulbs are all unscrewed, I mean, that's – that's going to be at least an hour, I would think. So that's that's a pretty significant uh, deal right there. I, I, I was proud of myself for that one. I, again, just came up with it on the fly. I didn't even prepare it, but I, I'm proud of myself for that one. So I, I wanted to seek your approval. Thank you, Dylan Hughes. Go go buy the damn book. Um, Power Hour. Yesterday, we, were, we put out the all-rookie teams. Our all-rookie teams were pretty much chalk. We talked about Desmond Bain in that yesterday, too. Go check that out. Divine Rhyme recorded today. Dylan, how'd that go? It was good. Um, Will's uh, internet at home actually held up. So really, that was the biggest thing to overcome. Um, but it was a little bit shorter than I expected, but it was still a good discussion. Uh, you know, more more schoolboy Q talk. And we're moving on next week to the, uh, the last of his collection, Crash Talk. So we're having a good time over here. And we're looking forward to the release of uh, the offseason tomorrow. Oh, and- yeah. Might uh, I'm feeling pretty tired right now, but I'm tempted to stay up till midnight anyway. But we'll see. I'm I'm excited for it though. Good things come to those who wait, Dylan Hughes. Good things come to those who it's wait. True. It's Sounds true. like something you would hear on the Divine Rhyme. So make sure you check out the uh, Schoolboy Q series, and then we'll be getting a uh, you'll be getting the off season pod at the end of this month. Since there's only one more uh, one more pod or one more. Uh, album for the guys to go over for a school like you. So that'll be fun. Make sure you check out divine rhyme. Great. This is Dylan Hughes week on the running hook podcast network. Like, I mean, you, and you'll, you're on the next show. I'm going to promote too. You were on circle city cinema this week. You were doing, you did parasite was that Griffith. And I've, in case they didn't listen to the show yesterday, tell them how that went. It was great, man. And I'm looking forward to your feedback as well on it. Um, but as I said, on the divine rhyme earlier, like, just to talk to Zach Griffith about movies is just a great time. I mean, Zach Griffith can talk about anything, but that's his area, you know, 
and we both had a really good time with Parasite. Just a very unique movie. Um, it was fun breaking that with breaking that down with him. So up on the Circle City Cinema schedule, you're going to have Road to F9 next week. They're going to be doing Fast Five with Bryce and JD. Um, there's going to be a Best Picture draft with me and Bryce sometime in the future. That should be fun from the uh, 1990 to th- 2020. Parasite will most definitely be drafted, so make sure you check that out. And then JD and uh, his brother Jamal will be joining Zach to discuss Boys in the Hood, so make sure you check that out. Battleground, they should have a podcast next week, but in case you're wanting a, a fix of the Battleground, make sure you go check out last week's where we talked about NBA, NFL Draft. I filled in for uh, JD and Caleb Lynn. Surprise cameo. I, f- I forgot to mention that yesterday, but Caleb Lynn. Surprise Bryce on the Battleground, so make sure you check that out. Triple Option Pass, they just did a, um, a collaboration with Lynn Sanity last week. They're going to be uh, getting ready for their shoulda, coulda, woulda sometime in the future. I believe they're doing it on a couple that missed the playoffs. I don't know exactly which ones. I, I failed to remember, but it, it was a good idea that they had, so make sure you check that out. Um, facts and stats with J.D. Hall. Not a running hook podcast, but Dylan, you were on another podcast. Yeah, and this one was recorded a while ago, so uh, it's been fine-tuned to a point. But yeah, man, the power of the mind, baby. This is uh, part of the stuff I talked about in the book and uh, the upcoming book, too, hint, hint. But uh, very important topic to me and JD as well. We both have a lot of experience with, you know, kind of flipping our mindset around to the more positive side of things and took some time to kind of relay our, our thoughts and um, give some advice on that. So another really good discussion with JD. And to go back to JD for our last plug, Lynn Sanity. So this week he did uh, what they like and what they don't like heading into the playoffs, um, Caleb Lynn and JD Hall. And JD will be co-hosting with Caleb every week on Lynn Sanity. So in the playoffs to, for NBA coverage. So you're not going to want to miss that because Caleb and JD is an electric combination. And then next week they're going to be starting. They're going to uh, preview all the play-in games because they're going to be recording on the 17th and the play-in starts on the 18th. So really that kind of worked out perfectly. Yeah, uh, dude, I'm just excited for the playoffs, man. I, I just can't even contain it anymore. Like this regular season stuff, we're, we need to finish this up. All right, we're, let's, let's wrap it up here. We're good. Thank you. Put a bow on it. Let, let's get going, man. I'm ready for this. So, okay. So real la- one last note before we end. And I think that's a good note to end it on. Um, we don't, we're not ESPN product, right? But there's three games left in the season for the Warriors and the, um, for the Grizzlies. Actually, no, the Grizzlies, the Warriors only have two games left. So the Warriors will have another game and the Grizzlies are going to play a back-to-back against the Kings. They have a game on Sunday that could determine who gets either ninth place or, ten- or eighth place or ninth place in the play-in tournament. At 3.30. That might be the last game of the regular season. So, I mean, Dylan, what a perfect way for us to close out the regular season than by talking about our, than by watching our Grizzlies on ESPN. Yeah, man, that, that'll be the perfect way to tie it up. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking Jaron Jackson 50 bomb. That's just kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Um, Dylan Hughes, this was an awesome episode. I had a great time. Thank you for joining me again, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother.